Anybody excited about Jesus? Man, he is alive. He is awesome. He, he loves us so much. And, you know, I was thinking about what Pastor JR was saying last week when he was talking about well, a lot of things. But when he was talking about, you know, we give more praise sometimes to like a sporting event type situation than we do our Lord. And I wasn't going to say this, but then I thought, you know what, I'm going to say it. Uh, I can praise God, I praise God that I have never praised anything in this earth more than I've praised my God. And I'm not saying that to, so you could look at me. What I'm saying is not just here where you might see me praise a little bit, but I'm in my house when nobody's around and my stereo is rocking and my door is shut and I'm weeping and jumping and praising and shouting God and, and getting my praise on the way I praise my Lord. You don't have to do it like me. It's how I do it. And, but the way you do it, you need to do it. Amen. And, and I'm telling you, there are benefits or you, you cannot, I can't even, I couldn't explain the benefits. I'd take me a whole series sermon to explain the benefits of this. But I'm telling you, sometimes people are going, I want victory. How do you walk with joy? How do you do this? I get my praise on guys. And it's not just here on Sunday. If I didn't praise there, I couldn't praise here. I'd have to, I'd have to spend the first half of the worship set shaking the junk off from the week so that I could feel ready to praise. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you, you shake, you spend half of worship shaking everything off and then you're just glad there's a good last song because you can connect to it. But I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, if you would go home and just practice this lifestyle, like having an attitude of gratitude and practicing a lifestyle of praise and thanksgiving, you know, I don't, everywhere the Bible tells us to pray, and I got to move on with this because I got a lot to talk about, but everywhere the Bible tells us to pray, not every place, so don't get me, the majority of the times that he's calling us to prayer in the New Testament, he's also calling us to thanksgiving. Prayer with thanksgiving. So if we're praying, oh, God, help me, there's no thankfulness in that. Prayer with thanksgiving. Attitude of gratitude. Amen? All right, four messages, I guess. That was message number one. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get into Ephesians this morning, and I'm just going to take right off, and, and I, I'm not going to apologize for who I am. I am who I am by the grace of God. So... I might get a little excited this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 4. And I might read it up there so that I can see it a little better. It says, God, being rich in mercy, <laughs> being what? Rich in mercy, guys. This is amazing. But I thought God was mad at me. I thought God was like judging me. Oh, well, it says, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Man, that's powerful. Even when we were dead on our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, that's powerful stuff. I'm going to, before I talk about this, we're going to go over to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his love towards us uh, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Being what? Justified, justified 
by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having now been reconciled or having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is, this is insanity, guys. This is crazy talk up here, but it's not me. I'm, I'm just reading scripture to you. This is crazy right now. This is, this is insanity. It's, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. God is so good. It's, it says much more. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And I picked this verse. I know I'm in Ephesians, but it goes right with what Ephesians say, and these tie together. And I, I just want to tell you something. It says, but God, in Ephesians, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He, he passed over the sins, right? He, 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 even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can't even cover seven yet. And it says that in Romans chapter, where were we? Chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that a, that's amazing. Much more than, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Man, right there, I'm just telling you, you can just go, mic drop. God is so good. We, it's time for us to, li listen to me, what my heart is crying out in this message and where I'm going to try to get us navigated through in this message is that we focus too much time on us. We spend too much time looking at us and not enough time looking at God and what he has done and understanding the glory of the power of the sacrifice of a God who has existed before time, in the middle of time, and when time is done, God, he will still exist. And by his power and authority, he has has done something that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and he has accomplished something marvelous. And he did it by the power of his might. He did it by the strength of his will, and he did it according to the greatness of his love. It didn't say God being rich in mercy with the great love that he loved us would, would come and, and, and judge you and say, if you are good enough, then I will pass over your sins. Then I will send forgiveness to you. Then. He didn't say that. It says, but God demonstrates his love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners. In my Bible, if I was to flip over to Romans 5, I actually have the word sinner and I scratched it out. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't scratch it out. And I wrote jerks. That's just for me. So, like, I'm not saying there's, it was right. Sinners was right. But I wrote jerks. While I was yet a jerk, Christ died for me. The just for the unjust. The holy for the unholy. The righteous for the unrighteous. My Lord and my God came, and he paid a price that I could not pay. He did something I could not do. And we, dis, we disvalue the sacrifice of our Lord when we come to God and approach God based on our performance, based on our works, and based on how good or how bad we have been. We have to approach him based on who he is and what he has done. He is amazing. 
He's amazing. Listen, man, it says that we shall be saved from the wrath of God. So here's the deal. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Much more. Not, oh, I, I just hope I'm good enough. I just hope when I get to heaven that, that my good works have outweighed my bad deeds. I just, I just hope. No. You know what he says? He says, when you get to heaven, much more. Much more. It says that if he demonstrates his love for us, that he died while we were sinners. You weren't holy. You were rotten. There was nothing good about you. Oh, I was a pretty good person. No, you were not. You were dead in your sins and your transgressions, and you were separate from God, and we're going to get there in Ephesians in a minute. The Scripture says that. And, and you were separated from God, and you were without hope in this world, without God, strangers and aliens to the covenants and promises of God, and God being rich in the mercy, and with the great love with which he loved us, he passed over your sin, and he said, your sin and your lawless deed, I will remember no more. And we, we come to him, and we get born again, and we say, yes, Lord, I need you. And then we come to church all too often, and we get, we get Christianified. And we come in, and we get religion. And then what happened is we're actually being saved to a system of rules. We're being saved into a system of theology that is, that is dealing with our flesh. And God said, I set you free from your flesh. I've set you free from the power of sin to rule in your flesh. But we approach God. God, I'm going to worship you this morning. Worship team is playing a song, and, our, and our, half our worship time is going, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done this week. Lord, please forgive me for these things that I've done. Oh, God, I'm not worthy. Oh, Father, I'm sorry for this. Oh, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Oh, I can't sing these songs, God. Oh, we spend half of the time that we have allotted, and for some people, that's your 20 minutes or 30 minutes of the week that you have to praise. Now, I don't know of how you live your life, so if that's you, don't get mad at me. I don't know. But if that's you and you're getting mad, then yeah, I'll stomp on your toe. And I'll smile about it. Because I'm not mad. But we need to shake ourselves and wake up to a reality that's more real than what you see and feel. We need to wake up and we need to believe God. We need to take him at his word and we need to begin to walk like we are sons and daughters of a risen king that has the power and authority to move literally heaven and earth. We spend half our times, many times, that's allotted to worship him, focusing on us. You know, I'm not going to teach on communion, but who's been in a communion service? Half of us? Really? Who's been in a communion service? Three-fourths of us? I won't be on I'm just teasing. I'll tell you what, though. I thank God because this church, if you've only been in a communion service in this church, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've been a part of any other church, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. I said any other church. Most of our communion services are spent reflecting on how we have fallen short. The majority of the communion services that I've been a part of, I don't participate in this, just so you know. I sit there, and I praise the Lord. But 
the message coming across is examine yourself and look at yourself and what have you done. And they, boy, they can whip it up and they can make you feel like a, a rat, you know, and they can really pull on your heartstrings and all this stuff. And you know what? That is directly disobedient and defiant to what Jesus said. That's a pretty strong statement. And I mean it. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, not me, myself, and I, of Jesus Christ, the most high. Amen? I don't know what's up with the rhyming today. <laughs> that was not intentional. I don't know what's going on. I like it, though. Not me, myself, and I, but Jesus, the most high. Amen? And so we spend communion, and we are looking at ourselves, and we're examining ourselves, and we're approaching God based upon us and what we have done or what we haven't done, and then we feel good or bad because we, you know, we're forgiven or we're not. You're forgiven. By the blood of Jesus, because God, being rich in love and the great mercy, which, or rich in mercy and the great love with which he loved us, passed over the sins previously committed. I know that's not in the verse. That's another verse in Romans. Passed over the sins previously committed. He went by beyond our transgressions. He wiped us clean, amen? Clean. So we're like, oh, I got a clean slate. I got born again. I got a clean slate. You know what that communicates to someone? That communicates that when, when I was a sinner, there was a big chalkboard up here, and God wrote everything, or God's too busy, but he had like an angel, you know, writing down all the stuff that I did wrong, dictating everything I did. And all my sins were on that chalkboard. And when I got born again, I got a clean slate. So the angel comes in and bangs the erasers together and comes up here and Starts wiping the chalkboard, and he's cleaning with the blood of Jesus. He's washed that chalkboard clean. Hallelujah, I got a clean slate. That's not good news. How many of you got born again? How many has been born again in this house? Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to do an altar call because half the hands aren't up in this place. If you don't want, I'm just kidding. Um, if you've been born again, right, you're like, my sins were forgiven. Amen? How many of you have sinned since you've been born again? If I wasn't holding the mic, I'd put both my hands up. <laughs> Maybe sit down and put both my feet up. How many sin more than once? Oh, no, because it says perpetually, perpetually, perpetually. We create doctrines that hide him from us. We create doctrines that cause us to approach him in our flesh. That Romans 8, 6 says the mindset on the flesh is death. So you can't come to him approaching him by yourself thinking you're going to get life from him. It don't work like that. How would you get born again? Did you get born again by approaching him by the works of your flesh? If you did, you ain't born again. You approached him on the basis of you aren't worthy and by faith receiving his worthiness. Right? You approached him based on him. But somehow something changes and we get born again and we begin to approach him based on us. That's religion. The Bible says in Colossians, if you're in our, if you're in our small groups, you've read this, this verse in Colossians. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, being firmly rooted and grounded and growing up and established in Christ. Amen? As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When you received him, were you good? 
Were you getting born again based on how good you were and how many awesome things you've done? Lord, you need to accept me because I'm so cool. I mean, come on, for real. Think, is that how you received Christ? How, but did you receive Christ in a way where you said, God, I, I'm not worth anything, but if you want to do this great exchange that I've heard about and you really want to take all my sins and my failures and my shortcomings and how I've messed everything up, if you really want me to give that to you and exchange, you'll, you'll cover me with your blood and give me your spirit and fill me with your righteousness? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard, but God, I feel like you're getting a ba- the bum into this deal, but s- so be it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God, if you want to take this crazy trade, so be it. I'll trade. And see, we're so silly that we think that we're swindling God. He swindled us. You're like, I don't like that word. Well, he bamboozled you. I don't like that word either. He hoodwinked you. I got him all day, all day, all day. Why? How did he do it? Because he tricked you because he knew you would approach him by the deeds of your flesh, but he knew he did something to wipe that away forever and give you a new spirit. He created you as a new person, and he has a kingdom for you to live in and thrive in. See, most of us got born again thinking God was going to change so we could live a better life the way we want to live our life. He saved us from ourselves so we could live a better life the way he designed us to be. And so it wasn't trickery in, in a bad sense. It was out of ignorance. He had to trick us to think that he was getting the bad end of the stick when he's actually getting the, the good deal because he's getting his spirit being glorified in the earth. He's calling back his creation, which was his heart, because of the great love with which he loved us. His heart is beating for his people. His heart is beating for people. It's beating for people. And, and when you got born again, it was not on a basis of deeds. It was based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in Colossians chapter 2, it says, As you have therefore received him, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, being firmly rooted and established and built up in him through faith. I'm not even on message two yet. Oh, I'm in trouble. You know what that means? Let's just make it real simple. There's a couple ways you can look at it, but here's the simplest way for me to look at this. It didn't take great amount of faith for me to get born again. All I had to do was place it in Jesus. As I got saved, that's how I walk it out. The same faith it took for me to get born again, the same way I approach God to get saved is the same way I approach him in every area of my life. As I received him, so walk in him. Saying, my flesh is worth nothing. I will not use it as a barometer of your love or blessings for me. But I will come simply laying down everything I have failed in and succeeded in, and I will say, God, you are greater than anything I could ever do. And so, God, I receive you based on you. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Being firmly rooted, being planted, rooted, growing up, what? In Christ. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Jesus, not in ourselves, in him. See, we, we live these lives and we feel like God is getting mad at us and God is judging us and God is grumpy and, and all this stuff. But it says over in, in Romans chapter 5, it says that, that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were still jerks, when we didn't even care about God and we didn't care that we didn't care, we were just angry and, 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 and enraged and we just were full of hate. And God said, I love you. I gave myself for you. And our eyes were 
open to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We heard the message of truth and we believed it. And in Jesus, in that moment, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit who's given us a pledge of our eternal inheritance, a down payment deposit of the righteousness of God put in us. He breathed in us. Our spirits came alive. We're no longer dead. We're alive in Christ. We're new creatures. You have the Spirit of God in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And then we have the audacity to come to him and say, I'm not worthy. I can't worship God today because I sinned and said some bad words. We have the audacity to allow the shortcomings of our flesh to muzzle the release of our spirit crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, crying out. You know your spirit is crying out to God. Your spirit is crying out. Your spirit is never sad. Your spirit is never lonely. Your spirit is never depressed. If you're born again, if you're not born again, your spirit is dead. And you are, have no idea what I'm talking about, but you can. It's as simple as putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll make you alive, and he'll give you a new spirit, and your spirit, man, is complete in Christ. It's never sad or weak or tired or depressed. Your spirit, man, is in perfect peace. It has perfect joy. It is connected to the source, which is God the Father through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a conduit that connects us directly to the Father, and you are connected to the source. And if you're born again, you are never, never disconnected from God. Where can I go that, God, you are not with me? David knew it in the old covenant. And we have something greater. We have something in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that our heroes of faith all died without receiving what was promised. But they looked to us. And the Bible says that, with us, that without us, they could not be completed. And they longed for a day that we walk in. And we longed for a day that they had. And they had the shadow of what was to come and a promise of what could be we walk in the substance of the reality. But because our minds are set on the flesh, it brings death. Romans 8, 6. You say, but I've been praying and I've been believing God. Yeah, but you've been praying and believing God based on the fleshly realm, based with what you see, taste, feel, and hear with your physical senses. What about the ears of the Spirit? Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. When was the last time you prayed and said, Holy Spirit, unclog my spiritual ears? I've never done that before. You might want to think about that. Lord, you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, I have ears to hear. When's the last time you declared that? I have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Instead of saying, I can't hear God. I just can't hear God. I, I just can't hear. I can't hear God. How about you try saying, I have ears to hear, God. If you speak, I will listen. Some of you are like, Pfft. he died for us. He loves us. We, we sit here like, like oh, God is going to be mad. God is grumpy. You know what it says? It says much more. 
much more. Not now that I've gotten born again. This is, this is what I was taught when I got born again. I got saved. I was radically changed. I was excited. I'm not talking about the first time because the first time I was a kid and I, it stuck and I believed it. But I had a little wiggle room and I ran for a while. And I did some stuff I wasn't supposed to do. And I ran away from God. And God never left me. But I was running. You know what we are? We're like dogs chasing their own tail. We're just running, 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 running. Some Christians are trying to get a hold of something they already got, and other Christians are like a dog running as fast as he can because there's something back here chasing him. Here it comes. It's coming after me. I can't get away from it. Oh, my gosh. There it is again. There, oh, my gosh. Everywhere I go, there it is. That's how some Christians are. You're trying to run from something that's got a hold of you. It's in you. It's become a part of you. You can't run from God. You get born again, he changed your spirit. He breathed in there. His spirit dwells in your spirit. There ain't no surgery tool can cut that out. He's in there. Quit running. And some of us are like dogs chasing our tails. We're trying to get something we already got. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. Then God will love me. God will bless me. Just realize, hey, whoop, that's mine. Let's waggle that thing. Own it. It's yours. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, the, I'm not the great giver of examples, I guess. I don't even can't think of a phrase or whatever. Man, God is so amazing. He loves us so much. You're like, oh, man, I just, I just don't know. I just, Lord, I, if God, if, if it's your will, God. Ooh, now I'm getting on some toes. Oh, Lord, if, if it's your will. Lord, I, I just don't know if you could just, Lord, could you just give me a little bit of joy? Oh, Lord, I just, I just, you know, I've really been struggling. I just, oh, God, please give me some joy. But if you don't want to, I guess it's okay. And we feel real religious about that stuff. We feel real good about that stuff. And then we want to indict God with, oh, I, I, I prayed. I didn't, you know, we've been approaching him based upon ourselves. We've been approaching him based on how good or bad we are, basing how he loves us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it didn't say, like I was taught, get born again. I kind of stopped in the middle of that story. I ran, I came back. There we go. I ran around, I came back. And when I came back, man, I was so excited. God changed my life. I had a supernatural encounter with God. I mean, I'm talking, he radically changed my heart, my thinking, my attitude, so much so that my lovely wife thought that I was getting ready to leave her because I was apparently such a jerk before. I became so nice instantly. I went to the altar. I hit my knees. I couldn't stand on my feet. The Spirit drove me to my knees. I won't tell you the whole story because it's mine, not yours. Hat gets yours. I hit my knees. I got up from that place, radically transformed, and I came home and started loving my wife. She's like, what the heck? Who is this? This ain't my husband. So she's preparing for me to leave. She's putting money aside, making plans, and getting ready so when I leave, she would be okay with the kids. It took a little while, but six months down the road, she realized this change was permanent, that this change was real, that this change was authentic. And then she began to say, what is going on with you? Who, I, I can't even get you to fight with me. I do everything I could do. She said that one time. I do everything I can do to get you mad and fight with me. You won't even fight with me. What is wrong with you? And I said, I love you, baby. She's like, ooh. 
I got to admit, I kind of liked it. It made me feel good because I was winning. <laughs> We're human in the midst of transformation. But God radically changed me. But you know what I was told? I'm so glad I had a radical encounter with the spirit and love of God because what I was told was, well, God, this is what I was told, man. God, there's no sin too great. There's nothing you could do that the blood of Jesus can't reach in there, cover that sin, and make you clean. I said, yes. You know what I heard the next Sunday? Buddy, you've been saved. You can't talk like that no more. You can't act like that no more. You can't. You've been saved. You're going to go to hell. You're going to have to confess these sins because you did all this bad stuff. You're going to go have to tell God he's sorry because he's mad at you now. You know what? We're being saved. We're being, we're being, we're being, we're being conformed unto a, a system of man's religious rules and regulations instead of a living spirit of God. And we're, we're, we're like, we're, I don't even know the right word, but we're propagating. That's not the word I want, but we're, we're, we're I don't know, whatever. We keep doing this again and again in our churches. We keep, we keep replaying this again and again, and next person comes in, Jesus loves you next week. Better quit doing that. Stop being the Holy Spirit and let God do what God wants to do in the way God wants to do it. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, our Savior, said, how dare you? That's not the words he used. That's my words. But he said, don't you go to your brother and look at the speck in your brother's eye when you got a stinking redwood tree growing out of your own eye. you got enough problems of your own. Take care of your own mess. And then once your mess is cleared up, you can... Help your brother with his speck. But in the church, we get born again, and what we do is instead of being free and letting the power of God transform us and then pursue him with faith, we get religion. We look good, and we start judging others because it makes us feel better. It is pride. It's just silliness. And that's about all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to, that's not my message. It's the introduction to my message here. This is going to be a two-part, so just we'll stop. And no, I'm kidding. Um, but God, man, it's so much greater than that. My Bible says much more, much more. God, I don't know if I can, if you have peace for me. You know what he says? Much more. How much peace do you have now? Guess what I got? Much more. Man, I'm experiencing so much of you, God. I don't even know, God. I think I've experienced all that you got. And God goes, guess what I got? Much more. It's, my Bible says he can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you can ask or even imagine according to his power that works in you. That's pretty awesome. It's amazing. Oh, much more, much more, much more. Amen. Amen. God is so good. I just can't move from this yet. I'm just telling you. You've been, you've been coming. Many of you have been approaching God in fear, in trepidation. Well, Pastor Tim, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know what the Bible says. That's not a shocker to me. But you're not approaching him with a holy reverence of the power, awesomeness of God, because if you were, you wouldn't approach him in your flesh. Let's be honest about it. If, you know when, when God showed up, you know what people did? They became like dead men. When God showed up, they hit the dirt. Because he shows up with some awesome power. You know what's pretty cool, though? 
we have that same spirit that shows up and people hit the dirt is in us. It's in us. It's in us. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What do you think? It's this little spirit, this little, oh yeah, this little baby Jesus in there. No, you got Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You got the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We use phrases that we confuse ourselves. But you got the Holy Spirit. It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. It doesn't say the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead took Jesus and broke him up a whole bunch and put him in a bunch of people. It says the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that spirit now dwells in you through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe... Belief is so important. Why, why is it, and I will move on after this, why is it that we believe what we think about ourselves more than we believe what God thinks about us? Why is it that we allow what we feel and think about ourselves be greater than what God declares about us? I think, I think, I think somewhere in here it says, let God be true and every man a liar. That means your own stinking thinking. You know, in 1 John, it says that even when your own heart condemns you, that God is greater than your own heart that condemns you. I don't feel worthy. God's greater than that. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is amazing. He's awesome. But we, we, we approach him we just got to approach him with faith. He's, he's not even going, oh, I need a super Christian. I need a, I need a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or apostle or prophet. I need a, a missionary. I need a super pastor or a preacher. I need a, a super Christian. He's not looking for that. He's saying, I want somebody who will believe me, somebody who will take me at my word and will hear my voice and simply obey it. He's like, I got people after people after people with credentials, but where are the people who will listen and obey? And even when I say listen and obey, we make this, some of your minds right now, because you're so indoctrinated in religion, you don't even understand it, your mind is clicking right now to the works and how we approach him and how we walk. Listen to me. Those who are led by the Spirit shall not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. we got to quit exalting our flesh and preaching our flesh and raise up the standard of Christ. Because if we would be so enamored with the presence of God, you would just follow him. You wouldn't do all this junk that you're worried about. All that sin that's got a hold of you, it would just fall off you. It'd just be like a loose robe. You'd just be like, oh, I'm bound up. You're like, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> robe off. Sin gone. You're just following after him. I love you, Jesus. And you'll have a whole bunch of Christians around you going, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, you can't do that. It's, it's not that easy. You can't do that. Be like, well, maybe you can't do that. But Jesus loves me. Come on now. I can show you scripture that people in church, religious people, don't like it when people get free. Why? Because it brings conviction to them. Because we play a game a lot of times. Instead of coming to him with our heart and just seeking after him and being, being, having our hearts set on him, we just play a religious game. So when his presence shows up, we go, oh, oh, crap. I wasn't actually thinking a bad word. I was just deciding whether I could say crap or not. That's a pretty strong word for me, so I can't. Oh, duty. You know what I'm saying? 
Like sometimes he shows up and the first thing we do is go, oh no, and we start to examine ourselves. We shake that junk off. If you have messed up, like raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but guess what? Everybody would have their hand raised. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory. There is no distinction, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, amen? And the Bible says in Romans, we know this, that he who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. Well, Pastor Tim, it sounds like you're saying you don't have sin. I don't have sin. <gasps> but you just said, he who says he has no sin. The blood of Jesus has removed all sin from me. I'm the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Did I have sin? Yes. Was I a sinner? Yes. I, had a, I was dead. I was spiritually dead. But I am no longer that old dirty sinner. You listen up. You are no longer an old dirty sinner just saved by grace. You were a sinner, past tense, but you were bought by the blood of Jesus, and now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not that old man. You're a new creature. Am I saying in yourself or myself? No, by the blood of Jesus. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I was a sinner. I, in my flesh, like Paul says, in myself is nothing good, but in Christ are all things. Amen? All right, I know I'm running out of time. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2. That was actually message number 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, I'm just going to read some scripture here for a minute. We're going to read a chunk of scripture, and then I'm going to talk about it. Is that all right? Because if I try to preach every verse, be, yeah. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who were so-called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. I like this. I love the quotes. Um, by the, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. You're like, what? Don't worry about that. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity or hostility, which is the law of commandments. Woo, did you see that? We'll talk about this more in a minute. The enmity or the hostility, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity, the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have our access. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. Now I have to read this because I memorized this in the New American Standard Oh, this is New American Standard. Hey, I don't have to. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Did you hear this? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in the flesh, weak as it was, did I say that right? Through the flesh, 
For what the law could not do, I said it backwards, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh. Listen to this. So that the requirement, actually, and it says right there, for the requirement in the New King James, I thought I put it in New King James because I like the New King James right here. It, it, it does a better job right here. It says, it actually says in the New King James, it says, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Boom. I'm just telling you, man. All right, we're going to read some more verses here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Everybody say all. All our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Ooh, yep, we're going to read it all. We're doing it. Um, 2 Corinthians. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, listen to this, it's talking about the law, and it's calling it a ministry of death and condemnation in the other verse. Oh, the law of the Ten Commandments. No, the, but if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more, there's another much more, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Next, next part of this same chapter. It says, therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Great boldness. Not, oh God, I'm not worried. No, you are my king. Great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel could not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. Listen, 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 listen. So important. Or read, 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 maybe I should say. But their minds were hardened for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, repeat it again. I think it's important. Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, to the, Lord the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, that was a chunk of Scripture, and I'm going to wrap this all up. 
God loves us so much. See, here's something we've been sold that's a lie. And in Ephesians, we won't go back and read it, but it lays this out in Ephesians where it says that he broke down the dividing wall that was, that was separating us. And, and he, he, he put away the hostility that, that was between us, the Jews and the Gentiles. It says, we who were the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, right? It says, remember that you, formerly the Gentiles, were separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth, without hope and without God, engaged in evil deeds, hostile in mind, without hope and without God in this world. Right? So listen to me. We've been told this thing, and we've been told that we were engrafted. Jesus talks about being engrafted. And we're going to come back to Ephesians. I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, I want Ephesians. I don't even know where I'm at. The second half of that Ephesians verse that we read. Oh, it's right here. We're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 probably is where we're going to look at. But here's what we've been told. Just leave it there for me, please. We've been told that Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is true. I'm the vine, you are the branches, that we must abide in the vine. And Jesus talked about how a wild olive branch could be engrafted into the vine, right? And he says if, if natural branches were cut off so that a wild branch could be engrafted, and he goes through this whole story and talks about it. You know how we've interpreted this? This has been interpreted in the body of Christ that the Old Testament law has been, we've been saved by Jesus, but the Old Covenant law is still how we live, and it's been brought in. Why? Because we were engrafted into the Jewish promise. We were engrafted into the nation of Israel, This is how it's taught, guys, that we are engrafted into the law. This is not what Scripture says or what Scripture teaches. We are not engrafted into the law. The law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In in, um, Colossians chapter 2, it says, having taken it out of the way, he nailed it to the cross. The law was nailed to the cross, through, and Jesus paid the full and total payment of the requirements of the law. Now listen, because this is important, because you're like, oh, the law, just track with me for a minute. I read a lot of verses, too much to understand right now, but I will tell you, it called it the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. It said the law was hostile towards us, and the law was against us. The law was given to bring us to our knees. The law was given to to rule over us, to destroy us, to break us. The law was not given to save us. The law was never given to save us. And even good Christians will go, yeah, that's right, but then we turn around, and we take the Ten Commandments, and we start trying to preach them and teach them. I know some of you are going, oh, brother, oh, brother. I'm saying, oh, no, open your eyes. Not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. He has written his law upon your heart and upon your minds. He says, it's in the old covenant. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with him after those days, says the Lord. After when? After the fulfillment of the law and the sacrifice of Christ. After those days, says the Lord, I will write my laws upon their hearts and their minds and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no longer. That's the covenant we're in. The law gives strength to sin. It's in Romans chapter 7. The law gives strength to sin. So when you go after the law, it empowers sin in your life. But the blood of Jesus killed it and made you clean. See, we've been taught that, that, we, we, that, that we were engrafted with the Jews. And we go about trying to study the old covenant, the Jewish covenant, all this stuff. That wasn't even the covenant. The covenant, go read Galatians. There's a lot of places you can read about the covenant, Right? Just trust me. Over in Galatians, it says that Christ redeemed us 
from the curse of the law, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that the blessings of Abraham could come unto the Gentiles, that's us, that we may receive the spirit of promise through faith in Jesus Christ. I read another verse that says so that the, that the righteous requirements of the law, this is in Romans, um, Romans 8, I think it's like verse 6. It says in order that the, the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us. In those who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The requirements of the law are fulfilled in you because they're fulfilled in Christ, and Christ is in you. There is no longer a standard that God has that says you must live up to this standard and, or I won't accept you. His standard is you will, must receive me, believe in me, trust me, make me your Lord, make me your Savior and Lord. Hear my voice and follow me, and the requirements of the law are fulfilled in you. And, and there's other scriptures where it says, what shall we say then? That the, the, the Gentiles who, who sought, or the, that the Jews who sought the law of righteousness did not attain to that righteousness, but the Gentiles who did not seek the law of righteousness have obtained to it? Yes. It's crazy. It's amazing. See, you were not engrafted into the Jewish culture, into the Jewish traditions, into the kingdom of the Jews. What he did is it says that we in, in one, both right here, where is it? Um, For he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the, the, the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh. That's on the cross. On the cross. The, the, everything he suffered was, was the judgment of the, the law. He, abolishing in his flesh. The enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Where? In Christ. In himself. Thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. For through him, the very last verse, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You know what he did? He took, he took the Jews out of the law, the futility of the law, the, the futility of them trying to be righteous by the law, because the Bible says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified before him. He pulled the Jews out of the law. He took the Gentiles, us. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. The whole rest of the world. It's a big group, right? He took the Gentiles out of being lost and having no hope and being separated from God. He took us out of darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that we were delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Over and over and over and over again, it talks about the forgiveness of our sins. I've read in the verses this morning five different times that it talked about the forgiveness of our sins. Why are we still approaching him according to our sins? You weren't engrafted into the old covenant. You weren't engrafted into the law. The law doesn't transcend both covenants. And some of you believe it and teach it and don't agree with me. Fine. Get in the word of God and study and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you. I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Listen, guys. He took the Jews out of their fruitless, futile works. He took the Gentiles out of their covetous, lustful sin. 
And he, he brought the both groups. He made the Jews and the Gentiles one new man in himself. We're in Christ. Listen, you want to know how the Jewish people are going to be fulfilled? They have to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I will not come to you again until you can say, Baruch, Chaba, Bashem, Adonai. That means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know that name. It's the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, even the Jewish people. The scripture says that the sons of the kingdom will be cast out, but strangers will be brought in. It's time for us to understand God isn't mad at the Jews. He made a way for the Jews. You know the great end times revival? I don't care what you believe is not going to be you and me. It's going to be the Jewish nation catching the fire of the Holy Spirit. And there's 144,000 evangelists that are going to go over the entire world, 10,000 Jews from every tribe of Israel. And it says they're going to be holy and they're going to be clean. They're going to be men who have lived a pure life of holiness before God. But they're going to have a revelation of the grace of God. And they're going to preach a gospel, not of works, but of the power of God and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is going to cover the entire earth and then he's coming back. So yes, we need to pray for the Jews. And yes, they're super important, but not in the way that religion has caused us to be, where we become religion, religious and we, we try to come back under this law. We try to come back under this work and we approach God based on our performance instead of based on his love. Listen to me. Just let it go. You could never be good enough. You could never do enough. You'll never measure up. It's true. You've been thinking it. It's true. You'll never measure up. Christ did it for you. Jesus is your standard, not to perform like, oh, I'm going to do as good as him. No, he is the standard. He fought the fight. He finished the race. He won. And now in Christ, it says we are more than conquerors because we're one new man in Christ, both the Jews and the Gentiles, becoming one in Christ, one body. One spirit, one God, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. We are one. There's not us and them. We're one. Anybody that believes in Jesus Christ, we are one. God said he would call a people from every people group, from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He says, I'm drawing all men to himself, by himself, with himself. It's a lot of selves, but he did it all. Just let it go. The Bible says to agree quickly with the adversary while you're on the way. I know it's talking about going to court, lest, lest you get convicted and the magistrate throw you in prison and you're tortured. And it says, you know, don't, don't worry about it because you will not escape that place until you paid for all. So when people are going to preach purgatory, I'm not doing that today. But I'm going to tell you, agree quickly with the adversary. How many times have you been ready to believe God or getting ready to pray and there's an adversary who comes and stands in your way, begins to speak into your mind and say, you can't pray for that person. You can't believe God for this because you're not worthy. You've messed up here. you messed up there. Who do you think you are? Hypocrite, hypocrite. You know what most of us do? We do the devil's work for him. We do. The devil comes up one time how most Christians live. One time he says, you're not worthy. And we go, he takes a bat and he goes, you're not worthy in our brain. And we go, you're right. We take the bat away from the devil. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. 
And we begin to beat ourselves to death with condemnation. And I think Satan's over here going, like he's shocked at the brutality that we use upon ourselves. One thought he can put in your mind and can cripple you from doing what God has called you to do. You are approaching him based on yourself. An old covenant way, let it die. Agree with the enemy. Say, you know what, you're right. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I guess I'm going to have to go in the name, the power, and the love of Jesus. I'm not worthy, devil. You're right. I am a hypocrite. You're right. What did Paul say? I'm the chief of sinners. If there's a tribe, I'm their chief. You're right, devil. You're right. Thank you for reminding me. I almost approached God based on my works. Woo! That was a close one. Thanks, devil. Now I'm going to get in faith in Jesus' name. It's not mine, but yours. Something will stir up in you. There'll be a fire that comes in and a tenacity that overtakes you. And instead of coming in timidity and, oh, God, you'll just be like, Jesus is the king. There's a fire that comes in faith. And it may come with smiles, but there's just a sureness that settles. And when you're always looking at yourself, you never have this, So you have to say, you're right. I'm not worthy. And then begin to acknowledge the one that is. And as you acknowledge the one that is, the Spirit of God brings up a spirit of might. And you can stand in the face of any accusation, circumstance, trial, or tribulation, and you can dance and sing and shout because your God has overcome. And he will overcome in you and through you.